So I'm here with Glenn Delahaye. He's the filmmaker behind this um, really interesting um, and dark short film, if he doesn't mind me saying, called The Invisible Boy, um, which is he's obviously entered into fusion. And as I say, really gritty, interesting film. Thank you for joining us, Glenn. Um, and uh, if you could start by just telling us a, a little bit about the film, uh, the synopsis, that is, sorry. Uh, yes, I can. Um, firstly, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be doing this. Um, but the film is about a young boy who's growing up in an abusive household where his parents are constantly arguing and he spends most of his time reading science fiction books to try and escape from it. And eventually he decides that it's just too much for him and he needs to get away. So his parents find that he's gone and they report him to the police as a missing person and they carry on their lives without him. But we then discover that he actually didn't move out. He's mm. secretly living in the attic. And the film then carries on with him living separately from his parents, with them completely unaware of his existence. And it goes on like that for 10 years or so, with him getting his upbringing from reading books rather than from his rather toxic parents. Yeah, because actually all the performances are excellent, the child actor in particular. Um, but the parents were, I mean, um, yeah, it's it's quite, not to say hard-hitting, but it's quite um, dramatic. I mean, where where does this all stem from? Um, I think I should say first that my parents are amazing, and this isn't <laughs> okay. based on my own family. But um, I think the the idea actually is a remake of a film that I did about 10 years ago. So this was a student film that I made ages and ages ago about uh, a similar situation with a couple that was arguing. And then the, uh, the man decided to hide in his own house in the attic, um, pretending that he'd moved out just to sort of get away from the arguments. And then he carried on living there. And I think there's, there was something about the idea of, um, secretly living in a house that appealed to me i think it's this idea of escaping and getting away from uh, from conflict and just waiting it out um because my, my co-director dan bizarrely um ironically told me this chilling tale of um something very similar I mean, you've probably read this in reality about people breaking into houses and actually living in their lofts and you know, I don't know if you honestly, this is honestly a true story. And this happened on a couple of occasions. I don't know how they've got away. With it. Oh, no, what it was, they were living in the lofts when they weren't there. But they had, I mean, I don't think it happened in this country, but they, they managed to only be able to stay there when the houses, you know, when they're at work and stuff like that. But they lived like this, <laughs> no, it's very strange stuff. And it kind of reminded me of your film, or your film reminded me of this, but it was a whole different thing. But just shows you that sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. Um, uh, I didn't realise that that was something that had really happened. I'm I'm aware of two other films that do tell a similar story about people hiding in people's attics while they're on holiday. But yeah, yeah, apparently it has actually didn't. happened. Okay, I suppose it's not surprising. <laughs> no, not not these days. So um, <clears throat> we just go into the writing part because I'm, you know, you you obviously got to make this quite unsettling. Um, in terms of why the boy decides to do that. But I suppose at the same time, uh, you know, you realise it's going to be quite a tough 
kind of subject matter. Although we should point out, yeah, a lot of it's the reading. I think he has a um, a great attraction to science fiction, I seem to remember as well from the film. But um, even so, it must have been quite hard to put this together, I guess. Um, yeah, I think it was a very lengthy process and I did actually try to do it about 10 years ago because I, I, as I said earlier, I did yeah. it as a student film and I decided about a year after that that I wanted to do it again as something a bit bigger and about a kid in hiding. But um, I couldn't get it to come together. I couldn't really... I think I couldn't exactly work out why I wanted to tell this story and I couldn't make it anything more than just a weird, creepy story about someone hiding. And I think more recently, I've managed to join it together with other ideas and create something that meant something to me. Um, and that helped me to actually write it and get it made. Um, I don't, I don't know how much it comes across in the film, but what I was thinking about when I was making it was actually mindfulness and mm. The, the driving force in the film for me is the boy trying to focus on positive thoughts and trying to block out negative thoughts and trying to be patient and mm. wait out the problems and the negative thoughts and then eventually growing into someone who's calm and makes decisions carefully and isn't impulsive. So the film was about this comparison of um, the dad who is angry and abusive and every time something happens that upsets him, he just impulsively reacts to it and yeah. lashes out yeah. and drinks yeah. or hits someone. Whereas the boy, I wanted him to do the opposite and for him to just find a way to ignore all of the bad things happening around him and not to be influenced by them, not to be affected by his angry father and then himself become an angry person and then, I don't know, hit other people. Um, and with, that was what I tried to bring together in the end, where he does come out of hiding and um, saves his mother and escapes the house. I didn't want him to just come out and beat up his dad. I wanted him to come out and be as calm as he could, but just to be defensive and protect his mind and leave. Yeah, and that's interesting juxtaposition, and the, I did notice that. And um, you said something interesting about revisiting the film, I suppose, which you did, revisiting an earlier version, but quite interesting to know why you did do that, because, again, because the sort of um, subject matter kind of thought it would be quite tough to deal with it in the first place. Well, it's... I'm probably over-dramatising it, but again, you know, often people, filmmakers, don't go back to look at old work, but it's very interesting you've done that. You've gone back, looked at something you've done as a student and decided you want to, I don't want to say remake it, but go back to it again. Um, so it must have been something you thought, oh God, I'm putting words into your mouth here, wasn't quite the film you wanted it to be. Um, I mean, it's... The, 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 but. I think, did you struggle with the reasons to why you wanted to remake it or make it, not remake it, or go back to it again? Um, I think what you said is just it. I think it wasn't quite what I wanted it to be. Um, I think when I made it as a student film, it was a very rushed thing with a very limited budget. And um, I actually only made about a third of the film that I wanted to make. 
think I'd had this big idea in my head and I only ever managed to write the first five pages or so. So they only filmed the intro. Uh, to most people, that seemed fine. I think the beginning of it kind of worked and it basically just ended with the guy hiding and it never came out again. Um, but for me, it always felt like unfinished business and it always felt like there was something there I hadn't fully realized and I wanted to come back to it at some point. But I think it is the only time that I've done that. And I, I wonder, this must have crossed, surely crossed your mind. I mean, this could be a feature, couldn't it? But then I suppose you'd have to, it's filling in all that time. How would you do that? But had, is that something that had crossed your mind? Um, yeah, I think with with most shorts, I always ask that question, of, could this be turned into a feature? But um, I think that would be stretching it. I, yeah. I feel like it could be 20 minutes long, maybe. But I, I didn't feel that there was enough in this to necessarily turn it into a feature. But I think there were probably ideas in there that themselves maybe could be turned into a feature, just not the whole project itself. Yeah, I suppose it's it's the, the time he spends in the attic loft that's going to be the the tough part, or it's all going to be tough because you've got to pad that out somehow, haven't you? I guess and stretch that into a I don't know a 90 minute feature I could see it I could see it but it, yeah it would be it would be hard I mean all filmmaking's hard but it would be hard yeah what would you do like, where, where did you get is it to, who's the young youngest one is it Tobias that plays the young the young the youngest boy as it were who's the youngest one in it yeah that's Tobias and where did you get to how did you come across him I mean all remarkable but him in particular um all three of them were through um Mandy which I'm sure is what many filmmakers use and um and just put out three separate casting calls or it might have been two uh and met various children sort of aged eight up to about 17 and um had to try and balance getting them to look similar with choosing the best actors which was kind of an awkward thing to do because you might see someone who's a great actor but they don't look anything like anyone else yeah um, so you have to try and pick the three who actually do look alike and also are good actors um and i felt very satisfied in the end with who we got four or three of them i felt they um they were all unique and at the same time similar <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, they they has a like a theme running through them that's kind of knits them all together well. And what's after this? Have you got anything that you're God, obviously lockdown's not helping anyone. We touched I touched upon that in the last interview, but is you know, as this hopefully slowly lifts, have you got other stuff that you're looking at doing? Um so that's that's the question that I think all filmmakers should be very prepared for because it's what people get asked at film festivals. Um yeah. I, I did have an answer to that a few months ago, but right now I actually don't because um I started working on something pretty much straight after The Invisible Boy. So at the end of twenty nineteen, um, I wrote something and then spent all of twenty twenty sort of preparing it. Um and suddenly, at a certain point in early 2021, realized that the spark had gone and I, I didn't feel that I could spend all of that time making this project anymore. So at the moment, um, no, I actually, actually don't have another project lined up. Um, I've done films more or less back to back for about seven years. Um, and I think I sort of want to 
have a break. And I want to see how having a break will impact whatever I decide to do next, rather than just immediately trying to jump into another project, I suppose. And when a COVID pandemic to one side, if that didn't exist, um, what is the the hardest thing you find about making films? That's a good question. Frustrating, maybe. Um, You know, I think, and this is going back to what I just said, it's coming up with an idea and being able to hold on to that idea for long enough to get the film made. And this is perhaps partly because I'm a particularly slow filmmaker that this is difficult. Um, But I find if I come up with an idea and then write it and then go through pre-production and filming and editing, it's very difficult at the end of that process to still be able to see clearly what it is that I intended to make and then to be able to um, finish the film in a way that still resembles the original idea. And I, think, I know you just touched on, you said that you've been working pretty much constantly for the last like, six or seven years. If I'm honest, a lot of filmmakers, I speak to a lot of filmmakers, that's not, it's quite unusual. I mean, that you are lucky or blessed because everyone earns their luck, I know. You have to work to do these projects, but... Um, that is a, a, an unusual position to be in, in terms of having work. I'm assuming you're kind of a gun for hire as well. I don't know, but um, as, as well as doing your own projects, but that's a nice, a, a decent position to be in. But it's, how do you, how does that work? I mean, how do you come across these projects? Are I mean, are they, are, are you pretty much constantly, again, away from the COVID, are you pretty much constantly doing stuff? Um, yes, I think, uh, typically by the time I'm editing one film, I'm, I've already written or I'm already writing the next film. I find it quite easy to be editing something and writing something at the same time. I suppose it accesses a different part of my brain. Um, so everything just it's kind of overlapped and always has done. I think there's all, even been a time where I was editing two different short films at the same time. Oh, goodness. Um, yeah, I don't know if that was a good idea or not. Uh, neither of them turned out all that well. Um, <laughs> but, um, I think I, I like to be productive. I've generally always felt I just want to make them as quick as possible, learn as quick as possible, fail as quick as possible. But um, I've never really taken the time to stop and then reflect on what I've done and think about what I could do differently. So I think maybe that's what I'm going through at the moment is just reflecting. It's interesting <clears throat> you said about the editing, um, because, again, from conversations I've had, I think quite a lot of filmmakers find the editing part of it, and this is only from observations I've had within other interviews, quite tedious, you know, in, in terms, I mean, it's, I know it's all a personal thing and perhaps many people love doing it, filmmakers, but often I've spoken to them, they find that quite a difficult thing to have to do because I guess a lot of them just want to be out shooting films. But, um, I mean, I've tried my hand at editing and I find it just painful, if I'm honest, um, because it's just so time-consuming. But are you okay with that? Yeah, it sounds like you are, but I just find it, I found it a, a bit of a drag, to be quite honest. Um, I understand. I think with 
so with half of my films, I have had someone else edit them. So The Invisible Boy, I didn't edit that one, for example. Yeah. Um, and I think I like both approaches. Um, I think I do enjoy editing them myself, but it does always get to the point where I really can't see clearly anymore. <laughs> and the, uh, enough of the colour correction, enough, yeah, and all the, yeah, and everything. I know. Exactly. Um, I think I think it tends to result in a film that's too long, whereas if I give it to someone else, they can delete lots of things which I wouldn't feel comfortable deleting. And in most cases, I won't even notice that it's been deleted. Um, I mean, Jordan, who edited my film, yeah. was, was brilliant and cut out rather a lot of dialogue that I didn't even really notice was missing. And if I had tried to edit it myself, I think I would have felt the need to stay true to all of that and to keep all of that in. It wouldn't have crossed my mind the idea to just delete it. Um, and picking up on that, I, I remember a couple of times I've asked that question about you know people editing your films, and you're insistent that they keep they, the this is the filmmaker's insistent a scene stays in, but the editor is also insistent that it's got to go. And I remember quite clearly when I've asked that question, in general, they they said through gritted teeth, we just trusted the editor and had to go with that because they found it having that someone's vision away from it. Because a lot of filmmakers probably wouldn't want to cut anything given half a chance, but I suppose you've just got to trust it. I mean, that's their job, I suspect, you know, and you just got to go with it in the end. Yeah, um, I think you... You trust them and then you test it. I think it's good to just show the film to people and see if it does actually work. And in most cases, it usually does. Um, I suppose I, I also feel it might be hard to trust the editor, but should I really trust myself either? Can, can I really see clearly after so many months of working on it? Yeah. And I think that, um, yeah, going back to your earlier question about whether or not I enjoy editing, I think I do, and I think that's part of the problem because I feel like I want to hog it for myself. But actually, in most cases, it's better to give it to someone else to do who isn't going to be biased. They're not going to be thinking about how many pounds were spent on a particular shot or how many hours were spent on a particular shot, which are things that I might think about and might make it more difficult for me to cut the shot. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end, okay, at the end of the day, all they want to do is have a film that flows really well. And I guess if they see a problem with that, they're going to say, "Look, I think we just need to cut this. It's, you know, there's too much fat here, or whatever phrase they use." And you probably don't want to hear it, but yeah, it's just, I guess, you've just eventually got to just sort of go with that and hope that they're making the right decision. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Brilliant. Glenn, thank you very much for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Wonderful to talk to you. Um, And yeah, uh, thanks again for your support and taking the time out to chat to us. Mm